Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christagenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, February 16th, 2013. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel. Thank you for listening. In the last program, we interrupted our address of Clayton Douglas's article, The Seduction, Judeo-Christianity or Pauline Christianity? Saul of Tarsus, Paul, A Different View. What a convoluted title. We interrupted it in order to begin an investigation into the life and works of the so-called bishop, John S. Spong. Since Douglas Douglas quotes Spong repeatedly in his criticism of Paul of Tarsus, Douglas must have read Spong's extensive works with more than a casual interest in the bishop's opinions, because he speaks of Spong with great respect in his article and repeats Spong's conclusions with avid conviction. Spong, being a promoter of homosexuals and a lover of Negroes, what does that have to say for Clayton Douglas? In the first few segments, I know that was a low blow, but it's deserved. In the first few segments of the series, discussing the anti-Paulism of H. Graeber, it was seen that Graeber's primary sources for his opinions, as he cited them, were the socialist, George Bernard Shaw, and the Jew, Jacqueline Prince. Here it may well be made evident that John S. Spong is much more dangerous than either of those, for Spong is an embracer of Negroes and homosexuals, a lover of the Antichrist Jews, and a hater of nationalism and true patriotism, all while claiming to be a Christian and a bishop. But we shall let Spong testify to the truth of these things by himself. We are often told that one shouldn't judge a book by its cover, yet just as often one can find all that's needed to know simply by reading its title. This material in reply to Douglas had originally appeared in Clifton Emmerheiser's Watchman's Teaching Letter, number 98, which was dated for June of 2006. This material also appears on Christogenia in a lengthy article entitled William Fink versus the Paul Bashers. This is now the 12th program in the series, and I hope it doesn't need further introduction. Tonight again, I have Sword Brethren with me, and, and we're going to discuss um, the life of John Shelby Spong. Hello, Brian. Hello, thank you for having me on. So tonight we'll be discussing Rabbi, I mean Bishop Spong. Yes, thanks for being here. Um, just as an aside, first, um, you're going to be on the program that I was on two weeks ago, The Realist Report with John Friend on Monday night, are you not? Yes, Monday night. You want to tell us about it, Monday night? It'll be at 9 Eastern, and we'll mostly be discussing fascist political theory. Okay, fascist political theory it is. I, I, I hope... Um, well, well, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I would kind of like to be there for that one, but I won't. I, I won't at all. But, but, um, I, I've been trying in in several essays in the past um, several months to to demonstrate that Adolf Hitler's National Socialism was very close to what we would consider to be Christian socialism. Was it? Right, and we'll be getting into National Socialism somewhat, and 
I'll probably take a few jabs at the so-called leadership in the American white nationalist secularist movement. Right, which is in, well, which is in pretty dismal condition, both um, philosophically, theologically, and 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 spiritually. Right. It seems that every time some so-called leader opens his mouth, he puts his foot in it. Some clan leader in Memphis just promised that there's going to be thousands of Klansmen protesting the removal of statues of Robert E. Lee and Nathan Bedford Forrest, and he's organizing it right now. And, you know, when 15 people show up, he's going to look like a clown. Well, they've given the city to the Negroes, so why worry about the statues? Right. I mean, the statues mean nothing to the Negroes, and they they shouldn't, and all the white people are are no longer there, so what's the point? If he wanted to organize, you know, 3,000 people to speak up, they should have done that 30 years ago before the city went to the dogs. Yes, they should have. Okay, at the end of the last program, we gave a summary of Spong's academic credentials and vocational positions condensed from the website. The, the, the Diocese of Newark website, dioceseofnewark.org, Newark being a large city in northeastern New Jersey, which is um, heavily occupied by the same sort of Negroes that live in Memphis. At another website, at the newark.rutgers.edu, which is the Newark, New Jersey campus of Rutgers University, one can find a summary of Spong's credentials plus a list of books and articles which Spong has authored. And this partial list of their titles should tell, should tell us much about his work. And I'm going to read the titles momentarily. But this is what we should discuss. This is necessary not only so that people can see what sort of material many of the Paul Bashers draw upon, where they're getting their accusations against Paul of Tarsus from, but it also is very good to see what sort of um, disease has has consumed mainstream Christianity in general. And and this John Spong was was um, after the civil rights movement in in the early 1960s. John Spong was exalted to to a star of of the um, the Methodist Church, and well, well, I'm sorry, the Episcopalian Church, I believe, and and it's it's he's had all kinds of television appearances. He's had all kinds of books published by major by, by large publishers, which is pretty difficult to do for for a um, a Christian author, unless you're one that the Jews want to promote the works of. So he loves the praise of men. Well, well, he loves the praise of men, but but also it's um, he was the type of man that certain elements in our society would want to use to basically destroy Christianity. Right. So he was a willing tool for evil. Well, well, he was he was either a willing tool for evil, or he was one of the the you know he was evil. Uh, on the side of evil, it's it's very clear. It, it's I don't know if he's just a flunky in this. He he couldn't have written all of these books with all of these that these um evil intentions just out of chance. Some of some of the titles to his books, and and that's all we'll need to to understand where John Spong is coming from. And this is the man that these articles bashing Paul of Tarsus 
that this is the man that these articles cite as an authority on Christianity. So poison fruit comes from a poison tree. Well, absolutely. Here's one title, Dialogue, In Search of Jewish Christian Understanding, co-authored with Rabbi Jack D. Stiro. What understanding do we need? They murdered God and they hate God and they want to murder us because right. we serve God. <laughs> you, you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. You're of your father the devil. A, um, a bad tree can't produce good fruit. What understanding do we need of Jews? Where I go, you cannot follow. Right. Christians are told explicitly in 2 John 9, 11, 9 to 11, verses 9 to 11, not to have anything at all with Jews. If you even bid them greetings, you are responsible for a share in their evil deeds. How more clear can it get than that? If, if those who deny that Yahshua is the Christ or the Antichrist, those who do not um, carry themselves as Christians, you're not to have anything to do with. That's the words of the Apostle John in his second epistle. Beyond moralism, beyond moralism, imagine that. Uh, what is there beyond moralism? Italian, Talmudism? Right, beyond moralism, right, is the Talmud. A contemporary view of the Ten Commandments co-authored with a woman, Denise G. Haynes. Probably a lesbian. A woman who's an archdeacon, it doesn't say of what capacity. How about this one? And, and these next few titles, these next few titles of John Spong's books show that he uses his office as a vehicle to promote his perversion because he keeps repeating his title as bishop in the title of his books. It, it's um, Christians aren't supposed to have respect for, for, the, for, the, for the stature of men, right? How about this? Living in, the, living in sin, a bishop rethinks human sexuality. Well, you know, this sounds like some of the titles of those reviews in Germany and the Jewish problem in Weimar, Germany. I think there was The Book of Sin, What Price for Love, Culpable Mothers, When Women Go Astray. Right. All, all these so-called German morality films that were just thinly disguised Jewish pornography. How about this? Rescuing the Bible from fundamentalism, a bishop rethinks the meaning of Scripture. How about rescuing Christianity from Jews? Yeah, right, exactly. That's what we need. Born of a woman, a bishop rethinks the birth of Jesus. Resurrection, myth, or reality? A bishop's search of the origins of Christianity. You'd think a bishop already searched that out, right? And, and so, wait, he got to be a bishop, evidently. Where the belief... He has special insight into the birth of Jesus. It's only been revealed unto him. It turns out Jesus is just a mere mortal. He was just a nice guy. And people 2,000 years ago, they were just duped. They were right there at the scene when it was happening, and they didn't know what they were witnessing. But this guy, 2,000 years after the fact, he's got it all figured out. Well, well this is the liberal revisionism which has driven Christianity, which has driven mainstream churchianity, I should say, into the pits of hell. Right, and, and this sort of nonsense has chased out millions of otherwise decent people. It's ruined Christianity for them, hasn't it? Well, well, absolutely, absolutely. That that they, this nonsense is is absolutely part of what is broken and, and destroyed um, Christianity in the eyes of many pe uh, many otherwise unsuspecting people. Liberating the Gospels, 
reading the Bible with Jewish eyes. Can that be done? Can it can it be done? Well, well, I mean, if a Jew reads the Bible, he's going to be you know um, revolved, isn't he? If a Jew reads the Bible, the result is the Talmud. <laughs> How about reading? Why Christianity must change or die? Why Christianity must change or die? He killed Christianity by by changing, or or he tried, right? A bishop speaks to believers in exile. Meaning I wish this guy would go into exile. Believers in exile. That, that's a, a reference to all of the fags, the sexual deviants, the perverts, the Jews, the queers. Right, Linda. It's who, who are excluded from Christianity rightfully. Well, he's making it seem they're arbitrarily excluded and they deserve to be included. Well... If they want to be included, they should stop their wickedness. They should, well, you know, they should make amends. Well, well, here's one of the prominent Paul bashers who is quoting this trash. He's quoting this man as an authority on the Apostle Paul, as an authority on Christianity. This man is a pervert and a deviant. Well, he has to hate Paul. foul and, and disgusting. Paul said God gave them up, so this guy wants to chase after a bus full of them and shout, wait, wait, come back. Uh, well, right, exactly. Some of the individual articles written by John Spong. Let's read some of those titles. The Christian Need for Judaism, which appeared, wow. in, which appeared in the Christian century. So maybe I should write a book, The Christian Need for Strychnine. Right. Breaking Definitions, which appeared in The Integrator. The Integrator. <laughs> Breaking Definitions. The integrator. I wonder you know, what's that about. I, I guess that's um, breaking the definitions of what marriage should be, breaking the def- the racial barriers, breaking the definition of what a human being is, breaking the definition of what a man is, so that you could move every foul beast into the church and and have our women married and right. I, I mean, what else could that be? When they first got started back in the 50s and early 60s, if I'm not mistaken, they they referred to it openly as integration, and then they wanted to tone it down a bit. They wanted to be subtle, so they started saying, oh, we're not for integration. We're for desegregation. Right. You know, they painted segregation as a negative, and they just said, oh, we're against the negative. We're not trying to force integration. We don't want to force anybody to mix. We just want to take away the barriers and let people do what they want. Well, that's Jewish doublespeak, too. Sexual stereotypes in the life of the church, like men shouldn't be men anymore and women shouldn't be women, that that appeared in ecumenical trends. Understanding the gay reality appeared in the Christian century. So can we assume this guy has first-hand expert knowledge in the gay reality? Well, well, yes, we will. We can assume that, and we will get into that further along in, in this presentation tonight, God willing. Sexual ethics. No longer a matter of black and white. That appeared in the Episcopalian. Hmm. Changing patterns of sexuality, the living church. Well, what church, though? Right, the church. The first church of the Paul Bashers? The Bible and sexual ethics appeared in the living church. America's survival depends on patriotism's death, appeared in the publication American Values. That sounds like a communist front. It it absolutely is a communist front. 
a book called American or a publication called American Values calling for the death of American patriotism. Just like the Jews today are in Europe saying that Europe's survival depends on massive immigration from the Middle East and Africa. So if you're in the hospital suffering from malaria and I tell you your survival depends on drinking this hemlock mixed with this arsenic, how is that helping the situation? Right, exactly. It, it's it, it's um right. It's de- this is death by stupidity, right? Allowing this man to to write these books and and to have a free voice in, in a major church in in American society is basically death by stupidity. Well, I mean, if this guy were in Germany in 1935, he'd be in Dachau, or he'd have fled in 33. Right. Exactly. He should have died in Dachau. Maybe he was in Dachau. <laughs> he was there spiritually with his rabbinical friends. Right, with Eli Weasel. <laughs> <laughs> American values. All right, Bishop. Bishop, this is, this is the title of his article. Bishop, please tell my congregation I was gay. That appeared in the Church Times in London. No outcasts. That, that sounds like no child left behind and no sexual deviant left behind, right? No pedophile left behind. Presbyterians for lesbian and gay concerns. A dialogue on Christian sexual ethics. Christian symbols and Jewish midrash. Most biblical interpretation illogical that appeared in The Human Quest. Here we go, Judas Iscariot, A Creation of Prejudice. That's the title of his article that appeared in The Human Quest. A Call for a New Reformation. We'll get into what John Spong means by a new reformation before this this night is over, God willing. Well, I'm sure in his reformation, they just take God and throw him out of the church and throw him out of history, and they bring materialism and everything. The powerless Christ appeared in The Witness. What's he a witness to? Right. He's certainly not a witness to the ministry of Jesus, is he? I don't know what the meat of that one is, but, you know, one of the arguments I've been getting from people who want to um, bring bring mixed races and and bastards into Christianity and have us accept them, I've been getting this argument several times, is God has the power to do anything, and you can't limit the power of my God. He could save a bastard. He could save a nigger. He could. Well, well that's a that that that's a nice. That's sophistry. Yeah, yes, it is sophistry because God has told us that He would not accept such people. That He would always reject such people. So, so you're basically. Man is forming God in his image rather than the other way around. God has formed us in God's image. Well, well these people believe that man can form God in man's image. Is well, what, they're doing. what about Malachi 3.6? For I am Yahweh, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Absolutely. So he, he established a law. He said, here's the law. Well, yes, he's God, and he can do anything, but why would he violate his own law after he went through all the trouble to establish it? Just because he's capable of doing anything, that's just sophistry. It's just rhetoric. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Paul of Tarsus said that. Paul of Tarsus said that, and that's maybe what John Spong doesn't like about Paul. Well, Spong, Spong evidently says that Christianity should change or die, 
And Paul says that Christ doesn't change. Well, these are probably the same people that would like us to look at the Constitution as a living, breathing document that'll just roll with the punches and change with the times. Well, well, right. By the titles of Spong's books and articles alone, it should be unequivocally clear that the statements that I made about him in, in prior presentations are true. And I made those statements just out, out of sort of like a, a, a sense for where Spong was coming from and not from knowledge because I didn't know any of this until Clifton had supplied me with the data, with the data much later. But, but when you see somebody make certain statements, sometimes you just know where they're coming from right away. And, and it was pretty easy with John Spong. And, and Douglas's use of Spong as an instrument uh, you know, to try to discredit Paul of Tarsus, which, which is pretty sad well, because Spong is anything but a Christian. Well, he was most active in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, right, Spong? Yes. So I wonder... Did he have any contact with the Soviet embassy, or did he have a KGB handler? Did they, did they give him a stipend? Well, well, they must have done something, because here's some of Spong's... Spong made a lot of national television appearances. His website bragged about this, and Good Morning America, the Today Show, um, This Morning on CBS, Firing Line with William Buckley. He was on it three times. The Phil Donahue Show, he was on Politically Incorrect with Bill Mayer four times. He was on the McNeil Lehrer News Hour twice. He was on Larry King Live three times. He was on the O'Reilly Factor with Bill O'Reilly twice. The Tom Snyder Show twice. The John Ankerberg Show. The Oprah Winfrey Show. Nightline with ABC and Town twice and, and Town Hall on CNN. He made all these major television appearances, most of them in the 1980s. And, oh, wait. William Buckley, is this the William Buckley Jr. that was the, the so-called anti-communist conservative who was for multiculturalism? Well, well right, and, and, and there's a few other, um, Pat Buchanan, he did a debate with Pat, Pat Buchanan on Firing Line. He, he did um, Religion Today with Bob Abernathy. He, Bill O'Reilly supposed to be a conservative. He did, um, he, he did Bill O'Reilly twice. It, it's not all of these are, are, are flaming liberals in the eyes of the general public. Right. Uh, we know from an identity point of view that they're all corrupt. And, and if they weren't corrupt, they, they wouldn't be on television. And, and it really doesn't matter if they label themselves conservative. They're just neocons. If they label themselves liberals, they're, they're, they're communists. There really ain't no difference in the end. At the end of the day, they're just living straw men who are there to look bad while the liberal trounces them. Well, well, right, and they're, they're, they're just there to make it look like there really is a political debate in this country, and there's no debate at all because the Jew controls both sides of it. Right, so the, the so-called conservative gets up there, makes a fool out of himself, and the progressive advances his agenda. Right. Well, well John Spong appeared on all these major television shows and all these major news shows, and, and um, it, it shows you the type of man that will be, pro that will be promoted if, if you're a religionist, you're usually ignored by the media, but if you're a pervert and a sexual deviant and a promoter of everything Talmudic and, and everything disgusting and, and everything evil and unrighteous, well, well the Jew's going to make sure you're on every commercial and on every um, commercial network and, and television program. No doubt. That, that's the way it is. Clayton Douglas 
obviously in his article, to me, revered Bishop John Spong. He showed a, a reverence for him. But seemingly, the Jewish-controlled media establishment loves him even more. And it's no surprise to me, considering his views, considering the, the things that he wrote about and the positions that he took on, on, on important moral topics. He's on the wrong side of the fence every time. We can also find from his website that Spong lectured at Harvard University in 2000, and in 1999 he was named Humanist of the Year. I would venture a guess that it was the same organization that declared Arlene Johnson International Woman of the Year in 2001. Right. Spong's no Christian by any stretch of the imagination. Spong wrote The Christian Need for Judaism. Yet the early Bishop Ignatius, the Christian Bishop Ignatius, knew better. He wrote that it's absurd to name Jesus Christ and to Judaize. For the Christian religion did not embrace the Jewish, but the Jewish, the Christian. And that, that's, um, that's the position that Christians should have. That the Jews, you know, Christianity, before the cross, the Old Testament, the Old Testament is not Judaism. It's Christianity. The Old maybe the book of Esther. The book of Esther doesn't belong in the Bible. There's your Judaism. There's the Jewish part of the Old Testament right there. The Old Testament is Christianity. It, it's Christianity before Christ, and the new covenant is Christianity after Christ. That's the way Christians should look at it. It's only the, that these um, paid shills like Spong, who for the last hundred years have basically deceived Christians out of their own Bibles. Spong wrote that Christianity must change or die. And he wrote No Outcasts. And No Outcasts was written for a homosexual publication. In contrast, Paul wrote, Yahshua Christ, the same today, yesterday, today, and for the ages, or and forever, in Hebrews 13.8. That's one of the reasons, of course, the enemy hates him, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And they're going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. They're contrary to God and contrary to all men. Well, well, right. We're told over and over again that God doesn't change. We're told oh, in the Psalms, Psalm 111, Psalm 119, Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 55, Malachi 3.6. God doesn't change. And it seems the course of history really doesn't change either. I mean, all, all this has basically happened before, historically, hasn't it? Rampant miscegenation, rampant evil, people that declare evil is good and that evil is to be praised. And then society destroys itself. Yeah, you know, talking about a fornicator in um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul quoted or alluded to Deuteronomy 13.5, Deuteronomy 17.7, Deuteronomy 17.12, Deuteronomy 19.19, Deuteronomy 21.21, Deuteronomy 22.21, 22.24, and 24.7. He quoted or alluded to all of those passages in Deuteronomy when he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 to the, to, to the assembly of Corinth, he said, and you are inflated, and rather you have not mourned in order that he who did this deed, he's talking about a fornicator, would be taken from your midst. But presently I have written to you, not to associate with any brother if he is designated 
a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or abusive or drunken or rapacious, not even to eat with such a wretch. In other words, Paul is telling Christians not to accept the ungodly, not to accept the sexual deviants, not to accept the fornicators, not to accept any of these people, not even to eat with them, to have no communion with them. That's what he's telling these people in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And he's quoting the law. He's quoting the law in order to do that. Paul teaches that there shall be outcasts. He says in that same chapter, he says, what is it to me to judge those outside? In other words, we only care about Christians, right? Not at all should you judge those among you, but those who are outside, those who are outside of the Christian assembly. Yahweh judges, and therefore, Paul says, you will expel the wicked from amongst yourselves. Well, aren't we told that outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the whoremongers and murderers and idolaters? Yes, we are. And those people, you know, we can all sin, and if we repent and we cease from that sin, we should be forgiven by our brethren. But when you have somebody who's unrepentant, that Paul taught this clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, they're to be put out of the assembly. And you're not to have communion with those people. There are outcasts. John Spong, who Clayton Douglas is using to bash Paul of Tarsus, has written an article entitled, No Outcasts for a Homosexual Publication. Who the hell is the Christian? Is John Spong the Christian, or is Paul of Tarsus the Christian? It's pretty clear to me. I'll take Paul of Tarsus any day over this damn pervert. It's pretty clear to me. The liberals and the Jews with their followers wrongly accused Paul of somehow doing away with all of the laws of Yahweh, as if a mere man could do such a thing, which they themselves refused to heed and certainly don't understand. And Paul's quoting the law time and time and time again. Well, it seems to me that the spawn clown, he's wise in his own eyes, he's prudent in his own sight, and Isaiah said, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light and light for darkness, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Well, that's the fruits of humanism. That's the fruits of humanism. That's where it's going to get you every time. John Spong, Humanist of the Year, 1999. So he has his reward, doesn't he? Absolutely. He has the praise and the... um, adulation of perverts, deviants, and rabbis. Well, well, right. You know, the Old Testament lays before the children of Israel and no one else certain blessings if they're obedient to Yahweh and follow his laws, and certain consequences if they are disobedient. And if we read those consequences of disobedience, under leadership of, of clowns such as John Spong, we have reaped all of those consequences. John Spong is only representative. I mean, he's one of the more extreme examples, but he is only representative of this liberal, um, I hate to call it Christianity, that this liberal churchianity that came out of the, the, the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Well, I guarantee you, you, you take a small town of maybe 50,000 people, you know, suburban America, 
mostly white in the heartland, maybe 15, 20 churches, and a third of them are going to be run by some, you know, disciple of John Spahn. Well, well, now, today, yes, absolutely, in the, in the Episcopalian Church. He split the Episcopalian Church by ordaining the first homosexual minister. He did it. He did it in the 1980s. It made national headlines. It was a big um, media circus all throughout the country at diverse times in, in when, he, when it happened. And they use that to help push their gay agenda. Paul certainly did not lay aside the laws of God. That, that's that. There, there are some serious misunderstandings in 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 the the Christian Israelites' relationship to the law and Paul's teaching. And and I hope to elucidate it at length early next year, or, or perhaps I'll be able to begin later this year. It, it depends on how long it takes me to get through the book of Acts, right? May, maybe I could start it sometime this fall, and, and I'm going to go through Paul. And I did it with Eli James a couple of years ago, but I think I could do a lot better it, by myself, to be honest with you, and, and expound on everything that Paul said about the law and prove that Paul was right. From the Old Testament, it can be proven. However, all of that's immaterial. Paul, in Romans 3.31, said that Christians should seek to establish the law, not to reject it. Christians, knowing that they're saved by God, should seek to do well. We're not going to be judged by the law because we're under mercy. But because of that situation, we should all the more seek to follow the law in our hearts and, and the commandments of Christ. There's no doubt, and, and that's his message in Romans 3.31. But Spong has already declared that Christ is powerless. Well, well right. He's declared Christ is powerless, and, and Spong embraces homosexuals. He embraces aliens. He embraces things we were taught to keep ourselves clean from. And, and when life doesn't go as Spong thinks it should go, he writes articles such as the powerless Christ. He's a blasphemer. So we've been told to touch not the unclean thing, and Spong says not only to touch the unclean thing, embrace the unclean thing. Embrace it, swallow it, and probably marry it. <laughs> liberals, liberals and humanists seek to conform God to their image. And, and we should never do that. We should seek to conform ourselves to God's image. We, we, true Christian Israelites know that the Adamic race, our Adamic race, was created in the image of our God. Paul teaches that, Romans chapter 8, Colossians chapter 3. We are obliged to act accordingly. Liberals and humanists refuse to admit that there may be a penalty for their abhorrent, deviant behavior. John Spahn goes to great lengths to convince all men of that same denial. Clayton Douglas, he's his disciple. Most Paul bashers are his disciples. Paul taught that there would definitely be punishment for our evil if we were to continue in our wickedness. He told us without doubt we would be punished for it. He told us without doubt those things would not be accepted in the kingdom of heaven. He told us without doubt that we should conform ourselves to Christ. He's the anti-liberal. He's the anti-humanist. It's incredible that people would bash Paul of Tarsus and, and, and use John Spong to do it well, well, they prove their own fruits. They prove that they, they too, are, are, are um, on the side of, of evil. There's no doubt. 
Well, he's clearly of a reprobate mind. Well, Spong couldn't possibly get around Paul's clear condemnations of sexual deviancy. Therefore, he employs Freudian psychobabble and uses Paul's statements out of context in a vain, slanderous attempt to discredit Paul, attempting thereby to nullify those condemnations. Well, Bill, if he tried to tackle Paul's condemnations head on, he would lose and lose hard. Well, well right. Absolutely. But, but when you open the New Testament, you can read the entire New Testament. I don't care if you read it a million times. And, and, and it's not the purpose of the Gospels to condemn homosexuals. There's no record in the Gospel that Christ encountered a sexual deviant. There's no record. There's no story told. That there's no parable. But we well, know that Christ, being Yahweh come in the flesh, of course he would never accept a sexual deviant. He would never accept that as acceptable behavior. Never. However, there's just no opportunity presented in the gospel for the renunciation of sexual deviancy. Well, that doesn't mean anything, though. I mean, the, the purpose of his ministry wasn't to give a 10,000-page commentary on the law. Well, well Absolutely. Now, now, Christ did say that if your eye or your hand offend you, that means that if your eye or your hand would cause you to violate the will and the law of God, then you should cut it off and cast it away. He did make illusions that we should follow the law and, and, and we should be a moral people, there's no doubt. But there's no explicit encounter and there's no explicit reason to condemn sexual deviancy presented to us in the Gospels. Only in Paul of Tarsus. Now, now you don't find anything about sexual deviancy. There, there, there might be something about fornication in James' letters, in James's letters, but there's no explicit condemnation of sexual deviancy in anywhere in the Bible except in the letters of Paul of Tarsus. And they're in there several times. And, and it's hard to get around Romans chapter 1. And it's hard to get around Paul's admonitions to Timothy about homosexuals and fornicators. It's hard to get around those things. You have to discredit Paul of Tarsus if you want to let fags into the church. And then you'll find room to do so. And, and that's John Spahn. Well, that's what he wanted to do. He has an agenda. Well, well Absolutely. But, but in order to push his agenda, he has to discredit the man who's discrediting sexually deviant behavior. That's the only way he could push his agenda forward, is to discredit Paul of Tarsus. And clowns like Clay Douglas just fall for it wholeheartedly. And... and and clowns like Clay Douglas, you know, he published a, publishes a magazine. He printed these Paul-bashing articles in a magazine called The Free American News Magazine. And he makes himself a disciple of John Spong. And John Spong wrote an article, America's survival depends on patriotism's death. Well, the irony is too great to bear. So is Clay Douglas a patriot then? He, he's... Well, well, he's an idiot. There's no doubt. He's an idiot. And is he a patriot, quoting John Spong, who, who, who would trumpet the death of, of patriotism? Uh, I find it hard to believe, right? I, I mean, he's a hypocrite. 
Now, it's not a, he's a hypocrite. Take your pick. He's got to be one or the other. He's of dubious origins. Doesn't he, Clay Douglas? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. I've learned that recently. I've learned that long after I wrote wrote this, I learned that. I've been informed, too, that he brags about his exotic ancestry. Well, well when, when you're a bastard, you have nothing left to do but to brag about being a bastard, right? But he still has the, the, the ear of, of, of well, well, if he has the ear of one person in Christian identity, that's too many. He has to be totally ostracized. He has to be um, totally exposed as a, the fraud that he is. A summary of Spong's career and personal life can be found in the article Profile of a Bishop, John Shelby Spong by Ellen Barrett. Now, now at one time, this article was on the Diocese of Newark.org website, and, and I know that they moved a lot of the material concerning Spong when he retired. I'm sure it's still available online somewhere. The following paragraphs are based upon information found in the article. Brian, would you like to read them? All right. The following paragraphs are based upon information found in the article. Apparently, Spong was not a homosexual, at least openly. He married university classmate Joan Kettner, who was trained as a zoologist and worked for the CIA. So I guess she provided information and assistance to him when he wanted to bring animals into the schools. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a good observation, Brian. And in and churches. Maybe she had some contacts with the KGB, too, if, you know, all the people put in there by the um, State Department in the 40s and 50s were still in the CIA. Acting as the breadwinner while Spong attended the seminary, Joan stopped working just before the birth of their first child, the first of three daughters, but rebelled against the claustrophobic nature of her expected role, not content as a housewife and mother. Joan developed an unspecified mental illness sometime around 1973, and from around 1983, she had all but cut herself off from outside contact and refused treatment for a cancer she developed. During these years, Spong grew ever closer to his teenagers, becoming a mother as well as father to them. He also the beginning of his identity crisis. Right? <laughs> he also turned more and more to study and writing as a soloist and a way to put order into the chaos of his domestic life. Somehow so I, I, he was studying the Bible. Maybe he was studying the Talmud for all we know. Yet evidently, study and writing weren't the only things which Spahn turned to while his wife, who died in 1988, was ill. For in that loneliness was also born the beginning of his conviction that God was right. It is not good for a human being to be alone. Evidently, about the time of Joan's death, this would lead him to affirm the relationships of homosexuals as well as those of heterosexual people living in non-traditional arrangements. So he decides it's not good for a man to be alone, so if there's a, if there's a boy across the street in the neighborhood, they should hook up. Well, well something happened, and, and I would assert something happened, and I did assert in this article, because I wrote this with heavy extracts from, from the website and, and the facts of Spong's life, but, but I assert in this article that something happened. His wife was sick. She was on her deathbed. He's raising two teenage girls, 
and he's a mother and a father to them, right? That's real cute, right? But he has, during this period, when he's evidently not having a healthy sexual relationship with his wife, during this period, John Spong has a homosexual epiphany. Right, but he had to be some sort of, he had to be predisposed to be some sort of pervert to begin with, because it'd be one thing if your, your wife is sick and you go cheat on her with your secretary, who happens to be a woman. I mean, at, at least that's biologically normal. It's morally unacceptable, but biologically it's natural. But this guy, he, he doesn't just take it to you know an affair with some other woman. He goes out and he starts looking to pick up another guy. Well, well right. Well, well, his wife died in 1988. It's in the years of her sickness that she is... Um, she, she he she's not really in in good contact. She she's not their relationship isn't very good. She's ill, and, and it's during that time that he starts writing that that um, homosexuality is all of a sudden good and it's godly and and God wants it and it's it's no longer Adam and Eve. It's Adam and Steve and and all the cliches, right? Well, well, he had already been something. Uh, of of what we should we in Christian identity would would surely consider corrupt moral character because it was thirty years before this that he was taking um, overt action in in um, favor of integration or desegregation in, in North Carolina. It was thirty years before this that he was walking little nigger children into white schools. Well, is it possible that he was living a double life and he was gay all the time and that was what caused his wife to have a mental breakdown and a collapse, that she, the stress of his gay affairs? Well, well, it's possible, but I think we're just conjecturing a little too much. Right, but I mean, he, he conjectures about Paul, though, so he claims Paul's a latent homosexual, Jesus wasn't divine, this and that, so we could conjecture that we know this guy is gay, his wife had a mental collapse, maybe the two are linked. I mean, it's only fair, right? If he can conjecture and insult our ancestors and insult the apostles and insult God, we can conjecture about this Cretan. Well, right. If you, if you want to look at it as, as a um, battlefield fairness, that, that's fine. Is it academically in academic integrity? I don't know. I wouldn't go there. Right. I mean, I wouldn't write an essay about it, but I just want to throw out the theory, you know, get it out there. That his wife has this breakdown for unspecified reasons. I'm assuming if you're a woman and you're married to a guy and it turns out, you know, he's going after other guys, maybe even boys, teenagers, who knows, that's probably going to put a lot of stress on you and it could cause a mental collapse. Right. To continue. So there it is evident that during his wife's illness and the resulting loneliness, which he is apparently weakened by, John Spong has some sort of homosexual epiphany so profound that he begins a campaign to normalize such deviant behavior and force it onto his church. Sure, in our Bible, the saying is attributed to Yahweh that it is not good that the man should be alone, Genesis 2.18, yet Yahweh's response to the situation was to create a woman. We are advised by Christ, he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. Who is spawn to insist that Christianity be corrupted in order to satisfy some perverted deviant lust? How is spawn so egotistically arrogant to even think that Christianity could somehow be changed? Placing a honey label on a jar of dung doesn't do anything to change the dung. Remember Paul's words at Hebrews 13.8. I, 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 I didn't want that mental image because it just occurred to me Spong is probably the sort of guy that would play around with fecal matter, just like a certain <laughs> pedophile so-called pastor in Missouri. 
Well, well, right, but this is, I, I wrote those words um, long before I knew him, right? <laughs> All right. Um, ba- basically, that, that's, you know, when a man in, in a Christian in a Christian assembly, in a Christian church, whatever you want to label it, well, when a man takes such a turn, he should be dismissed immediately. Immediately. Right. That there should be an uprising in, in the assembly, and he should be thrown out immediately. He should be dismissed. Well, it seems Romans chapter 1 was applied to John Spong. God gave him up to uncleanliness and to disgusting desires, and Spong basically turned his back on God in the 50s and 60s with his conduct, so in the 70s, God just washed his hands of him and dropped him. Right. And I've heard evangelicals say, you know, that there is no hierarchy of sin. You know, all sin is the same, so if you steal a cookie from your, your cousin when her back is turned at the, at the family picnic table, that it's just as bad as murdering someone because sin is sin. So uh, apparently, you know, if um, John Spong had just gone out and had an affair with a woman, they would say that that's just as bad as if he goes out and starts having affairs with men. But I think there is a hierarchy of sin because we're told that there are certain sins, you know, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, for which there is no forgiveness. So not all sin is the same. Not to go off on that diversion, but maybe you might want to weigh in on that—the the hierarchy of sin. Well, well, yeah. There's things that corrupt. There's things that we could do, and, and and we could make a mistake, and we could repent from it, and and we can be forgiven, and perhaps our action hasn't corrupted an entire generation of American youth. Right. Yeah. You know, perhaps our action, even though it was bad, hasn't. Um, persuaded an entire community full of little little girls that they could start having sex with themselves and 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 other girls and and boys and niggers at at thirteen years old. Yeah, you know, or right. fifteen years old. I, I mean, this that there are certainly that you know when when you when your actions and when your sin starts. Um, Corrupting and perverting the people of God, you have a serious problem now. Well, if I, you know, hit your cow with my truck, I can make restitution and deliver you a new cow. But if I go out there and corrupt the entire community, I can't undo that. There's no way to make restitution. It can't be done. The genie's out of the bottle. The horse is out of the barn. So what Spong did... He's dealt incalculable harm to this nation and to the soul of Christianity in this nation. Anyway, mainstream Christianity. Well, well, absolutely. And 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 the um, the the people that 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 follow these Paul bashers have to see that they have to see the type of of men that the Paul bashers are willing to um, put on pedestals and and, and revere as authorities. Well, what's the motives of the Paul Bashers? Right. Yeah, you know, if, if Clay Douglas is is promoting John Spong, if if H. Graber is um, esteeming, and and also W. G. Finlay, if they are esteeming the Jew Joaquin Prince, and 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 using the words of Jacqueline Prince to bash Paul of Tarsus, which they both do, if Clay Douglas is doing that with John Spong, then what's the, what's the motives of the Paul Bashers? 
Well, I, I think they should have worked that 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 they that they're um whose devices that they've employed in order to attack Paul of Tarsus. They support the normalization of perversion and the revolutionizing of American society. They want to force this gay revolution on the nation and normalize it. Well, well, no doubt. No doubt. Returning to the aforementioned article, Spong's involvement in the policies of his church toward homosexuals began in 1982 when his wife had already been sick for about nine years and the general convention resolved and I'm quoting the general convention resolved that the church should begin a serious study of changing patterns of family life Spong must have seen this as a green light for his own base ambitions since and I quote three or four years later the bishop commissioned a diocesan task force to study what he considered to be three key points. The overwhelming increase in young people living together outside of marriage. Unmarried older people living together for various economic reasons. And whether people living in homosexual relationships could be called into the church's desire to consecrate human partnership. That's absolutely disgusting. That's the words of, of John Spong, and, and that's the words of his biographer describing the actions of John Spong. There we have it. Spong was a trailblazer in the gay marriage movement. Twenty years before these recent attempts by deviants to have their iniquity blessed by the state, Spong was already at it. A nationwide storm, and I quote, a nationwide storm broke in 1987 when the press reported the committee's findings as endorsing gay marriage. Afterwards, Spong wrote two of his books in defense of the idea. After the death of his wife, Spong got even bolder, and I quote, acting on his growing conviction that gay people should be fully included in the life of the church, Spong ordained Robert Williams, who was a fag, in 1989. The wave of hostility Williams' ordination generated even intruded upon the funeral service for Spong's wife, Joan. She was buried from their old parish church in Richmond. And as the bishop and his daughter sat beside the coffin, a woman approached him struck him across the shoulders with her cane, called him a son of a bitch, and strode out triumphantly through the pallbearers. But not all reaction was negative. The bishop, who had once dismissed the gay viker, was well on the way to becoming a hero of the gay community, as well as a target of conservative wrath. Yet, that conservative wrath didn't last very long. While initially the Diocese of Newark was disassociated from the rest of the Episcopalian Church over this spong and his ordination of these sexual deviants, political pressure put half of the church's House of Bishops on Spong's side within one year and inspired two married bishops to come out of the closet to Spong during this period of controversy. Well, at first I criticized Spong for even participating in the church 
which had homosexual ministers. Little did I know that he was the one who made such shamefulness possible for the Episcopalian Church in the first place. This is the type of man Clayton Douglas has chosen to follow. And all Paul Bashers everywhere are in league with this man. The motives for Spong to pervert Paul's teachings and to portray the apostle in such a slanderous light should be perfectly evident. Should be perfectly evident. I'm going to... um. I'm going to skip on Brian to to the bottom. Well, we beat this topic enough, and and I would like this presentation on Spong completed this evening. I'm going to skip on to the to the bottom of the following page, and I'm going to talk about um, Spong's crimes as an integrationist. This is from Diocese of Newark. Newark documents. Mission to dismantle racism. Anti-racism dialogues. Well, it start in Israel. Right. Facilitators provide guidance for the anti-racism dialogues. Seeing the face of God in each other. A positive vision of the unity that can be achieved through Christ. Was, I thought he just said Christ was powerless. Right. Right. So, so, so the image of God, God has multiple images. I guess God could be a nigger, a chink, a stick, a white. It, it, it depends on what day you feel like. What kind of, what color underwear am I going to wear today? Oh, let's pick the brown ones. It, it's, it, it, and, and that's what the image of God is devoted to in the minds of the, the, these anti-racist perverts. God is the author of race, whether people like it or not. And, and to insist that the races are integrated, no matter, where, no matter what you think of the origins of non-white races is immaterial. God is the author of race. He created everything in Genesis kind after kind. If you want to violate that precept, then you become the enemy of God and his creation. So racism is love. Racism is the desire of an individual to preserve the creation of God. Anti-racism is the willingness of an individual to see the creation of God destroyed by violating the precept of kind after kind. So, so this is, anti-racism is anti-Christian. The mission to dismantle racism, it says, will guide groups through an interactive process to increase participants' awareness and understanding of diversity, prejudice, social power, privilege, and institutional and systemic racism. This is all the, 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 the Marxist paradigm, right, for this, the destruction of America and the destruction of the West to flood us with aliens and, and, and then to um, break down racism in society and force us to integrate with the other races through this basic um, Marxist dialectic. Anti-racism training, as it was so 
very important for participants of anti-racism training to experience the process within the context of community. The anti-racism dialogues will be congregationally or organizationally based. In other words, for the foreseeable future, seeing the face of God in each other, this is John Spong's campaign, will be sponsored by a congregation or congregations or by a commission, committee, agency, district, or board. Or a local ADL office. Yeah, yeah, right. This was enforced throughout the Episcopalian Church by John Shelby Spahn. And, 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 and actually, with, within the Diocese of Newark, at least, within his reach, right? From the context of this brazen anti-racism dialogue of Bishop John Shelby Spong, it would appear that the enemy of true Israel is by far working much more forcefully to accomplish their agenda of destroying the white race than those in Israel identity are in defense of Israel. And they were Clifton's words. Scripture makes it clear, and Yahshua Christ fully expresses in his own parables that he is a racist. Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares, the parable of the net, the, the encounter with the Canaanite woman, the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25. It doesn't go, you don't have to go far to see that Christ was a racist. Paul certainly followed in Yahshua's footsteps on this issue as on all others in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 13, verses 21 and 23, Paul shows that he, too, is a racist. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul shows that he, too, is a racist, where, where he commands the Corinthians not to commit fornication as their fathers had done, and then he refers to the incident with the children of Israel at Dal Peor, and, and, and fornicating with the daughters of Moab in Numbers chapter 25. Fornication is race mixing. Race mixing is one form of fornication. Paul warned against it and referred to race mixing events in the Old Testament to substantiate his warning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So Christ is a racist and Paul was a racist. John Spong is an anti-racist. Aside from Spong's lifetime of evil works on behalf of sexual deviants and Negroes, he also demonstrates a consistent rebellion against the admonitions of Yahshua Christ, John 8.44, of Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18, of the Apostle John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, 2 John, verses 7 through 11, by working with Jewish rabbis. All of the New Testament books, Paul told us not to do it, to, to reject the Jews. Christ told us to reject the Jews. The Apostle John told us to reject the Jews. John Spong embraces the Jews. He works with Jewish rabbis. He probably embraces them in more than one way. He writes books with Jewish rabbis. This Hebrew Lord was co-written with a Jew. So I could imagine what the definition of Hebrew is there, because the Jews aren't Hebrews. Again, I'll quote from Ellen Barrett's article, on, 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 uh, which was on Spong's Episcopalian Church website at one time. A local rabbi was so impressed with this Hebrew Lord, despite his disagreement with the premise, that the two of them debated the book Three Friday Nights at the Synagogue, 
and three Sunday mornings at St. Paul's Church to record-breaking crowds. Local radio picked up the debates, and the pair were offered a 20-week cable TV contract to continue. Spahn co-authored another book with another Jewish rabbi and has written articles for Jewish publications such as Menorah. So we have this man who's a race mixer, who's a lover of homosexuals, and he's working very closely over a prolonged period of time with one Jewish rabbi after another. Now, not for nothing, but it would be hard for me to believe that Joaquin Prince, the president of the American Jewish Congress, a rabbi from Newark, New Jersey, who is often cited by W.G. Finlay, the, the, South Af- the, the South African Christian identity, Paul Basher, and by H. Graber, the Christian identity, Paul Basher. They're both always quoting Jacqueline Prince throughout their Paul Bashing articles. It would be hard for me to believe that he wasn't a good friend and confidant of John Spong, the Episcopalian Bishop of Newark, New Jersey, the same town, the same time that Jacqueline Prince was the chief rabbi of the largest synagogue there. One of Spong's articles is a call for a new reformation, originally published in 1998. A full review of it fully reveals that while Spong is an Episcopal bishop, his true religions are Darwinism and secular humanism. It should be no wonder that Spong had so little use for Paul of Tarsus, that he would stoop to slandering a noble man in order to, in order to promote his own immoral homosexual agenda. Spong's article begins by misrepresenting the Protestant Reformation. He belittles the issues which led hundreds of thousands of faithful Christians to sacrifice their lives by calling them quite trivial in retrospect. The Thirty Years' War was, I guess, quite trivial in retrospect. And he leaves unmentioned the oppression of the Roman Church, ignoring all of the slaughter and the sins perpetrated by that evil institution. Spong has no sense of history, aside from no sense of decency and no sense of morality. He goes on to state that the need for a new theological reformation began when Copernicus and Galileo removed this planet from its previously supposed location at the center of the universe. Where Now, that's a mischaracterization. Where in the Bible does it say that the Earth is the center of the universe? I'd have to look, but I don't think it's there. It's not there. There's nowhere in the Bible. Well, maybe there's, maybe there's a, a secret Bible that also um, approves homosexuality, and John Spong has access to it, but none of us have ever seen it. Well, well right. Yeah, you know, the modern astronomical discovery surely upset the Roman Catholic Church. There's no doubt. But the Roman Catholic Church, their model of creation was founded upon the beliefs of Aristotle. They weren't founded on biblical Christianity. Copernicus and Galileo did nothing to harm true biblical Christianity. Because nothing in the Bible, not even the Genesis account of creation, when viewed from a proper perspective, insists upon a geocentric model of the universe. 
because the Genesis account is a revelation to Moses, a man, and it's a revelation made to a man for his own perspective. It's not, it does not insist upon a geocentric model of the universe. So that, too, is, is, um, is acad- academically dishonest. I'm going to skip ahead a little. Spahn continues by embracing Darwinism. Charles Darwin related human life to the world of biology more significantly than anyone had heretofore imagined. These are the words of Spahn. The Bible began with the assumption that God created a finished and perfect world. Darwin postulated instead, now postulated, right? So he's really trading one religion for another, right? Darwin postulated instead an unfinished and thus imperfect creation out of which human life was still evolving. And while it can be shown that Spong mischaracterizes even the fundamentals of Darwinism, that in, that in itself is nothing but another religion, the foundation of Darwinism, that higher forms of life somehow evolved from lower ones is impossible. It's never been observed. It's never been proven. It shall never be observed. And it's slowly being discredited. Slowly only because of the resistance of the atheists. Darwin gave the godless a religion that they can accept. Evolution. Darwinism is not science. Finally, Spong embraces Sigmund Freud. He said that he analyzed the symbols of Christianity and found them manifestations of a deep-seated infantile neurosis. These are the words of John Spahn. I wouldn't waste time here in the vain debate with Freud's perverted opinions. The man was a Jew. He was a cocaine addict. He was just another instrument of the Jewish liberal attack on our civilization. Well, if I recall, some journalist asked Freud when he was coming to the United States about psychoanalysis, and he said, sir, what what are you bringing? And he said, I'm bringing the plague. No doubt. You remember that? It was some little tongue-in-cheek joke, but I I don't think Freud was really joking. No, he was dead serious, I'm sure, but he knew that anybody hearing it would never get it right, maybe not for a hundred years. This is John Shelby Spahn. This is a bishop in the Episcopal Church, and, and this is the, the, the product of the liberal Christianity of the, 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 um, from, from the mid-20th century. It's not Christianity at all, right? It, it's humanism. It's humanism. It's Talmudism. It's, it's not Marxism. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's not even really crypto Marxism. It's just plain Marxism. Right, it's it's out of the closet Marxism. Well, would you like to read the final thesis? That there's twelve of them, I think. The final thesis to Spong's proposed reformation, which he boasts are far smaller in number than those that than were those of Martin Luther, but they are far more threatening theologically. Well, Martin Luther's ninety-five thesis. We're at least based on Scripture, right? They, right? We're based on Scripture. Martin Luther, his biggest problem with, with the Catholic Church was the idea of indulgences, paying the priests to get your ancestors, your dead wife, your dead mother off in purgatory. So Martin Luther knew clearly that Christ paid the price once for all of us, and there was no further price to pay. 
what was it, that clown? He was riding around with a wagon in the Holy Roman Empire saying, as soon as the coin into the bucket clings, the soul from purgatory springs. Right. Right. It was crazy. Indulgences that, that, so, that they really had a simple-minded populace hoodwinked. Do we sing the internationale before or after we read John Spong's thesis? Right. That they are. They're, they're definitely, uh, I, I ponder his blasphemous planks paralleling those of Marxism in many ways is what I wrote then, and, and it's, it'll be obvious now. Point one, theism as a way of defining God is dead, so most theological God talk is today meaningless. A new way to speak of God must be found. So, so he's kind of trying to extend on Nietzsche, maybe? I don't know. Right, or he's basically just saying that theology is meaningless and that you know God was the same yesterday, but he, he's different today and he's irrelevant today. And, and he'll, he's more irrelevant tomorrow, I guess. Point two, since God can no longer be conceived in theistic terms, it becomes nonsensical to seek to understand Jesus as the incarnation of the theistic deity. So the, Christio so the Christiology of the ages is bankrupt. Well, this rests on an unproven premise. In order to accept the, the, the conclusion, you have to accept that God can no longer be conceived in theistic terms. Well, maybe he can't conceive of God in theistic terms because he's been given over to a reprobate mind, but I can conceive of God in theistic terms. Right. Point three, the biblical story of the perfect and finished creation from which human beings fell into sin is pre-Darwinian mythology and post-Darwinian nonsense. Well, which is, that, which is based on another false premise, the false premise that Darwin knew what he was talking about. Right. And the idea that creationism after Darwin is nonsense. Well, Darwin put forward a theory, and a theory means it's unproven. And it's still unproven. No matter how they've tried to draw lines between various um, artifacts and, and, and make Darwinism true, Darwinism is unproven. It's, a, it's more of a religion than, than the Hebrew Bible. Since they can't prove it, all they do is attack competing creation stories. Right. Four, the virgin birth, understood as literal biology, makes Christ's divinity, as traditionally understood, impossible. Well, then I guess John Spong doesn't really have a great understanding. No, not at all. Well, we, I mean, <clears throat> okay. Well, we, I don't have a problem understanding the virgin birth of Christ. We can reproduce a virgin birth tomorrow. In a lab? In a lab, yeah. We could, we could reproduce it tomorrow. If so there it is, biologically. Boom. Yes. Yes, it's biologically possible. In vitro fertilization, we could we could produce a virgin birth tomorrow. Well, I'm sure John Spong would hypocritically denounce that as unnatural, but it's okay for two guys to bugger each other. And that's natural? <laughs> that's a good one. Five, the miracle stories of the New Testament can no longer be interpreted in a post-Newtonian world as supernatural events performed by an incarnate deity. So what, he, he now has a degree in theoretical physics? And, and, and he could go back and, I guess, interpret the miracle stories of the New Testament for us. So he's an authority on that. So he's an authority on that, physics, theoretical physics, Isaac Newton... 
Wow. Six, the view of the cross as the sacrifice for the sins of the world is a barbarian idea based on primitive concepts of God and must be dismissed. Well, that's not some great theological insight. That's just biased, heavily subjective opinion. I'd say that that's just the, 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 the thoughts of a depraved mind. Well, well, I think that Spong probably never actually studied the scripture to understand why Christ had to die and that the sin wasn't really for the sin of the world. It was for the sin of the Adamic society. Point seven. Resurrection is an action of God. Jesus was raised into the meaning of God. It therefore cannot be physical re- resurrection occurring inside human history. Okay, so he denies the resurrection. These are all the Jewish positions that have been the Jewish positions for 2,000 years, right? So this guy's just a Sadducee. Yes. He's a post-Sadducee Sadducee. Basically. So if he were around 2,000 years ago, he'd have been throwing stones at Jesus. Well, well he, certainly, he certainly shouldn't be a Christian, and he certainly shouldn't have been able with these ideas to rise to the position of bishop of a Christian church. However... Well, I'm he, telling you, I, he was politically, he, he was a good political choice for those who would wish to destroy Christianity. I could picture this guy 2,000 years ago standing in front of Pilate shouting, free Barabbas, free Barabbas. Absolutely, no doubt. The sto- point eight, the story of the ascension assumed a three-tiered universe and is therefore not capable of being translated into the concepts of a post-Copernican space age. Does this guy even know anything about Copernicus? I mean, at first he talked about Darwinian, Newtonian, Copernican. I, I doubt he studied any of them. If man can transcend the natural world, and we could see ourselves transcend the natural world, I mean, we need devices and machines to do it. We have to imagine that if there's a God of creation, that the God of creation can transcend his creation. And that shouldn't be a problem if there's a God of creation. The alternative is humanism and evolution. So Spong is obviously not a Christian. He does not belong in the Christian argument because he's obviously a humanist and an evolutionist. So how this man got to the point of being a bishop of a Christian church is another story, but he's obviously not a Christian. Well, he either belongs on a boat to Israel or sedated in a straitjacket in a padded room. Well, well, right, because he's a non-transcendentalist and because he's a materialist and a humanist. He's not a Christian. And he's a deviant on top of it. Yes. Nine, there is no external, objective, revealed standard writ in Scripture or on tablets of stone that will govern our ethical behavior for all time. So now he's a moral relativist. Well, well, Jews are mar- Jews are the moral relativists of history. So, if it's wrong today, maybe tomorrow it'll be right. We'll just have to ask the rabbis to concoct an argument that makes it right. Right. That's what the Talmud is all about. It's how to circumvent God's law. That's the essence of the Talmud. Ten. Prayer cannot be a request made to a theistic deity to act in human history in a particular way. Okay. It can't? Why? Because John Spong says we can't pray? Right, because there's no God. He's basically saying there's no God. He's basically saying that God can't be thought about on, on theistic terms, that he doesn't exist in those terms. 
So he's basically saying there's no God. John Spong, I, I mean, we could add to the list, right? Now he's a nihilist. So if we can't conceptualize God in theistic terms and we can't pray to God and he's given us no standard of conduct that will govern our behavior for all time, then there is no God. There's no God, there's no morals, and, and it's a Marxist Jewish world. So anything goes and everything's right. Right. So why is this guy in the Christian church unless he's here to destroy? Why is Clay Douglas um, quoting this guy to, to discredit Polytarsus? Well, you know, um, Yuri Bezmianov, KGB defector, I think we have all of his interviews up on the MK site, he said in the you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, the KGB was heavily involved in destroying American and Western Christianity by promoting New Age theologies, New Age cults, infiltrating the seminaries and promoting all sorts of divisiveness and questioning the existence of God and getting priests to write papers about, well, maybe God doesn't even exist. We're all wasting our time. Jesus was just immortal. He was nothing special. And I, I have to wonder, is John Spong an agent willingly or unwillingly, knowingly or unknowingly, of the KGB. Because his wife had CIA connections, so did they ever come into contact with the KGB? It's just something but, to consider. Right. Well, there's a lot of things to consider. His wife did have CIA connections, there's no doubt. And um, I don't know, that there is a good deal of... of um, of treachery in the life of John Spong, whether or not it was initiated by John Spong or whether it was initiated from, from outside and he was used as a tool is irrelevant to unmask the man for what he is, is, is the task at hand. And right. So it doesn't really matter if he was on the KGB payroll. I'm just saying this guy, like Besmianov said, he said most of the people that were supporting the Soviet Union weren't paid to do it, and they didn't even realize they were doing it. He just said they were useful idiots, and they were wrecking America for us, is how he summed it up. But, you know, Spong is such a character that if I were a KGB handler in the 70s and I heard he'd been laid off and was out of work and had fallen on hard times, I'd have knocked on his door and handed him a bag of money to get back to work. We, we appreciate it. Right. Point 11. The hope for life after death must be separated forever from the behavior control mentality of reward and punishment. The church must abandon, therefore, its reliance on guilt as a motivator of behavior. So God doesn't exist, but we can all have life after death where? There is no God, but we can all have life after death, and it doesn't matter how we behave. There's no um, law we have to follow. There's no God we have to please. If the universe is three-tiered, though, or if it's not three-tiered because of the post-Copernican space age and the post-Newtonian, post-Darwinian world that we're now in, where is life after death? Right. If there's no God, what, what's the purpose of life after death, and how do we achieve it? If, if there's no God, there's no spiritual plane. If, if there's nothing more to man than his fleshly body, then, then why should we believe in life after death at all? Right. Maybe he has some Jewish conception of life after death. I was watching a documentary years ago, and they had some rabbi on there. And the, the interviewer asked the rabbi what the Jews teach about the afterlife, and he said, well, Judaism has no afterlife. And he said, if you're a good Jew, the other Jews will finally remember you, and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll put your picture up, they'll have a, you're a poster with your face on it, they'll tell, they'll tell good stories about you, and your memory and your name and your legacy will live on. So maybe, maybe there is and, and, and you'll let them all have your way, their way with you, you'll be more fondly remembered. 
So maybe that's what Spong is thinking, that whoever's the best Marxist, they'll build statues and they'll name roads after him, so he'll have life after death. It's a sick world. It's, he's a sick man. So point 12, all human beings bear God's image and must be respected for what each person is. Therefore, no external description of one's being, whether based on race, ethnicity, gender, or sexual orientation, can properly be used as the basis for either rejection or discrimination. But wait, for what each person is, aren't we all just some protoplasm amoeba that evolved into a fish, that evolved into something that walked on land, that evolved into an ape, that evolved into a man? So we're all just walking, talking animals in this new Darwinian era. And how can we bear God's image? Because God can't be conceived of in theistic terms. And theism as a way of defining God is dead. There is no God. There is no afterlife. So why talk about man being made in the image of God? We're all just talking animals. It's all pretty much Marxist, isn't it? So point 12, though, doesn't make sense. Well, well, it doesn't make sense in, in light of his other 11 points, no, because he's denied the existence of God. He's basically de- denied the spirit. Point, point 11 doesn't make sense either. Right, so he's a cultural Marxist who wants to use the name of God to advance this wishy-washy, feel-good, claptrap nonsense that we're all made in the image of God because it sounds so very nice. It's a good soundbite for these new age, let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya calls. But when you boil it right down, he's a Sadducee. He denies the resurrection, he denies life after death, and he basically denies the God that made him. He's a godless, sexually deviant, perverted, hypocritical humanist. He can't be a Christian. Clayton Douglas is his disciple. Clayton Douglas quoted the man, the, the, the esteemed bishop, John Spong. It, it's incredible. It, it's incredible that, um, well, once you pull the mask off the Paul Badgers, this is usually what you come up with. It's evil. I mean, what, what more can we say? His 12 points speak for themselves. He's basically proposing that we systematically dismantle Western Christianity and replace it with Jewish materialism and Sadduceeism. Well, this is John Shelby Spong, and we've probably said enough about him. A whole program. Uh, I mean, if, we, if we'd have read all the material here, we'd probably be here until 1130. But, but I think we've read enough to let people know that this is... Yeah, you know, not all of the Paul Bashers that, that I read, Graber didn't quote Spong. Graber quoted Jacqueline Prince, though, and Jacqueline Prince is a Jew and a chief rabbi at the same time that Spong was a bishop in, in Newark, New Jersey, in the Episcopalian Church. Jacqueline Prince was a chief rabbi of the largest Jewish synagogue in Newark, New Jersey. So, so there, there, there is definitely a connection there. That's immaterial. John Spong is quoted by many of the Paul Bashers. He was quoted throughout the Clayton Douglas articles. He was referred to. He was revered by Clayton Douglas and, or, or by the real author of those articles, who was probably the clown brother Nazariah. And, and that's besides the point. The Paul Bashers that have picked up those Clayton Douglas articles and ran with them and, and have used them as... The, the source of, of their Paul bashing inspiration, well, this is the man that you get it from, John Spong. This is the man that, 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 that's Paul bashing 
comes from. He was a Paul basher long before there were Paul bashers in, in identity Christianity. Do we have to call him a man, though? I mean, could, could we say maybe he's a woman trapped in a man's body? Right, or maybe he's a, a woman trapped in a dog's body. Or maybe he's a kitty cat trapped in a human so, body. He was the humanist of 1999. Well, I'm nominating him for the award of Satanist of 2013. Well, well, right. The man was an evil son of a bitch. There's no doubt he was evil. There's no doubt he was a bastard. There's no doubt that he sought to destroy Christianity and to use his office. What was his title of bishop in so many of his books, which were obviously... Um, deviant perversions. He was using his office to destroy Christianity. Well, you know, Jim Jones in 1951 was affiliated with the Communist Party and he spoke with some fellow Marxists and he said, how can I demonstrate my Marxism? And then the answer clicked and he said, my idea, infiltrate the church. So then he became a Methodist. Interesting. Actually, no, I'm sorry. A Methodist helped him get into the, the, the church, and he ultimately started some little Seventh-day, they called it Seventh-day Baptist. Well, Jim Jones was definitely a communist, there's no doubt. Absolutely. Okay, we'll be here, um, I'll be here next week on Friday with Amos Part 4, and I don't know if you want to pick up against the Paul Bashers Part 13 right up right away or, or if there's something else you want to do in two weeks on Saturday I will be here two weeks from today on Saturday I will be here with um and, and Brian you're invited to, to join us with, with um pastors Ken Lent and Mark Downey and we will be doing another program discussing the United States Constitution and the original the original intent of the founders all right when will that be That'll be two weeks from today. Okay, excellent. And I just wanted to say it's a shame that John Spong never hooked up with Jim Jones and followed him to Jonestown in Guyana. Well, well, absolutely. I mean, John Spong, this is horrible. I mean, this man is by no means a Christian. Yet, he, he, he was used by Douglas and he's been used by other Paul Bashers as, 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 a, um, as an authority on the Christian Bible and on Paul of Tarsus. And, and that's, you know, when somebody says, and, and this is the lesson in this tonight, the real lesson in this is that when somebody says, oh, Bishop John Spong says this, that title does not, there is no way that title gives that statement any authority. The only thing that gives that statement any authority whatsoever is whether or not it, it coheres to solid Christian principles and the words of Christ and the words of our God in the Old Testament. If it's not biblical, then it's not. It has no authority. A title does not give a man's opinions authority. Only their adherence to the word of God and, and, and their standing in the truth can give a man's words authority. So, so this... I think it's pretty clear there is no 
adherence to the word of God with this John Spong clown? Well, well none whatsoever. Uh, I mean, everything that this man says is totally contrary to, word, to the word of God. But, but it's, it's, it's a good witness as to how people revere the status of men. Christians are not to respect the status or the stature of men. You're to evaluate the, the words of men according to the truth, and, and the truth is found in the word of God. And, and no lie can be the truth. So, so that's, uh, I mean, that's the, the value of Clayton Douglas's Paul bashing right there. It's summed up tonight. And, well, and we're going to continue it because there are some good points left to be made in, in this series, and, and I'm sure we'll make them. Well, who is an antichrist? But he who denies that Jesus is Messiah, and John Spong has done that and more. Well, absolutely. There's no doubt. The man was an evil bastard. There is no doubt. Thank you for joining me tonight, and, and um, we'll be here next week. Praise Yahweh. All right. Absolutely. Praise Yahweh. Thank you, everybody.